this morning to those joining us in the fellowship hall and through the broadcast. It's good for us to be able to gather together around the word of God this morning. Through this series, Apprenticed, we've been learning from Jesus how to live in relationship with God, with each other, with the world, up, in, and out. And before the cross, the disciples had been apprenticed to Jesus, learning from the master, but then Jesus' death and resurrection blew away everything that they thought they had figured out about it. Suddenly, they saw Jesus' example for living really wasn't the reason that he came. Jesus himself came to be the way for us to be brought back into eternal relationship with the God who loves us. Jesus took our sins to the grave, and three days later he rose, the firstborn of the new creation, Scripture tells us, a new beginning for a humanity reconnected to God through Jesus, not just as apprentices, but as adopted children, heirs. And after his resurrection, for 40 days, Jesus appeared to the disciples, teaching them and showing them that he was physically alive. Touch my hands, my side. And they watched him cook fish for them and eat it with them. They could see that he was alive, but so much more too. Jesus wasn't moving in the same patterns that he had before, which must have made them question, what happens now? And at the beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples finally got to ask their question. In Acts 1-6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What you picture when you think of the second coming of Jesus, that's what the disciples were looking for at this point. Are you going to rule now, Jesus? Are we going to get those thrones that you talked about? Is it time to wrap up humanity here? But Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He's saying, that's in the plan, but we aren't there yet. There's something else for you to do now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's time now to put your training to use, fishing for people. And I believe that it was because it wasn't time yet for his final rule that Jesus physically had to leave. How could the resurrected Jesus, the one who had defeated death, who has authority over all things, physically walk on the earth among human beings and not be king? Either Jesus physically would leave or the kingdom rule would start on earth. And it wasn't time for that yet. Word needed to be spread to open the way for you and for me to be welcomed into the life that he had won for us. God's heart is for all, for as many as will come. So Jesus called his disciples to him, and he gave them this great commission before ascending to heaven. Therefore, go and make disciples, student learners, of all nations. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is our calling as Jesus' people in this era of human history, that this good news is for all the world, and our task is to make disciples, lifelong student learners, who learn by imitating Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded them. And this is an interesting move on Jesus' part because baptism wasn't a huge part of what Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry. But now, after the resurrection, it's command number one, baptize, teach. You might wonder why. 
Well, I think the order here is significant because Jesus didn't say, first, teach them to obey all that I have commanded them, and then if they can get that right, then you can baptize them, and then I'll be with them. Instead, Jesus starts by having us proclaim the saving relationship, the up, or maybe we should call it the down, (laughs) that God came to us. We are to baptize in the name of the God who created us in freedom, the name of the God who through the course of human history chose to enter into creation and redeem us by his own blood, in the name of the God who empowers us today to be in relationship with him from now until eternity. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is himself the all in all. He's the beginning and the end of this work. It starts with him claiming us. It ends with him saying, I will be with you always. So what's our part of this relationship? What's in the middle there? Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So wrapped in God's promise, the baptized life is living knowing that you have a king. And one day you will see him face to face. It's knowing that your hope is in God's love and grace alone. And we're called to live into, live up, live out of that identity every day. So baptism is both an event and a discipling process. And today I want to start talking about baptism, the event, and then we'll unpack the process. The baptism event can be kind of confusing for people because there are a couple of different kinds of baptism in scripture. In the Old Testament, for priests and for worshipers, washing was ritually important. To be in the presence of holy God, you need to wash as a sign of respect. John the Baptist presented a baptism that was that kind of sign. Get washed up, people. Scrub away all the sin you can. Get presentable because company is coming. God is coming here. The Messiah is on the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. John's baptism was about helping people repent, turning them from themselves so they could see instead where God was moving. Now, repentance is very important in the life of a Christian. We need every single day to be redirected, to keep looking at God and not at ourselves. We need to come honestly to God in repentance, to be healthy spiritually. Otherwise, our wrongs build up in our minds and our hearts and they derail us. Like the hymn says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Because of what Jesus has done for us, when we confess to him, we can trust that we are forgiven and made new. Repentance is vital to a healthy relationship with God. But it's not the basis of our relationship with God. Jesus is. If our baptism was just a baptism of repentance like the one that John offered, if baptism is just our act of cleaning ourselves up to receive from God, if having a relationship with God depends on us washing our sin away, how long do you think we'd last before we need another baptism? I think about 12 seconds would be a generous estimate. A baptism of repentance would be something we would need constantly. It'd probably be best if we just lived in the shower. But John the Baptist never thought he was doing something permanent. He had one purpose only, to prepare people for the one who can really make us clean. John said about Jesus, He's so much greater than me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And in humble symmetry, in John 13, when Jesus was showing his love and purpose to his disciples, he removed their sandals to wash their feet, saying, Unless I wash you, 
you have no part with me. Because Jesus has washed us by his sacrifice once and for all, we can trust we are made entirely clean from the inside out by Jesus' blood. John's baptism was about human power to repent. It's a human offering to God. But Jesus' baptism is about God's power. It's God's offering of grace to us that we can only receive in faith. Jesus' baptism is an invitation for us to know that we have been permanently received into his work, not ours. That makes us clean. And we can see this in the book of Acts. In Acts 19, Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Saving faith is not in us, but in him. Jesus' baptism is a promise given to us that speaks in a way that's deeper than words. By water and the word, it's a reenactment of Jesus' life over yours. The water over your head reenacts Jesus descending into death. And as you're raised from the water, it's a reenactment of Jesus' resurrection into life. This is a promise deeper than words that because Jesus entered into death with your sin and was raised to new life, even in death, you also will be raised with Jesus to new life. Baptism is a way that Jesus calls us to know and understand that because of his love, he has joined our lives with his forever. And that promise awaits the response of our answering faith. Because baptism is a beautiful thing. But I want to pause here and be very clear that the Bible does not say we are saved by baptism. It says that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We can always choose to walk away from his promise, rejecting him and what he's done for us. But God's promise to us is eternal. And the trustworthiness of that promise is the foundation of any possible faith response of ours that follows. And I believe Jesus calls for us to be baptized as we begin this discipleship journey because he knows us so well. God knows our faith needs something tangible to put our trust in. Otherwise, we might be tempted to make an idol out of the shifting sand of our ability to believe rather than the solid rock promise of God for us. I believe Jesus calls us to be baptized to help create faith in us by making sure we remember that we are saved by grace through faith. But our faith doesn't create God's grace. God's grace creates our faith. He loves and we respond. And it can't happen any other way. The truth is, no matter who you are, no matter what your story, God loved you first. 2,000 years ago, God made the first move toward you in Jesus' death and resurrection on your behalf. And baptism is a sign that Jesus didn't just die and rise for people in general. He did it for you because he loves you. Because God wants a relationship with you. It's a sign that you can trust that promise is for you. And I believe Jesus calls us to be baptized because he wants us to know it from the very beginning of our life with him, that it's his saving work that's our foundation, not anything we will eventually learn or discover or figure out or in any way earn by our goodness. He alone is our salvation as our lives are joined with his. His Holy Spirit gives us the power to grow into being who we are as his people. 
And because God is always faithful to his promises, the Bible tells many stories of conversion to the Christian faith, but there isn't one story of rebaptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Bible. Jesus' baptism isn't John's baptism of our repentance, but of God's claim over us. So we don't need to redo it once we finally get with the faith program. God's promise doesn't change. Our response to God probably will throughout our lives. But baptism is kind of like a hat hook. If that hat falls off, you don't need a new hook. You just need to put the hat back up there. And in the summer, some in our community have participated in a remembrance of their baptism in the lake. But I want to be clear that they aren't being re-baptized because human beings can't redo what God has already done. Instead, people have wanted to participate to be physically reminded of that covenant that God made with them in Jesus Christ, kind of like celebrating an anniversary. And some anniversaries come to mean more to celebrate than others, especially if there's been a time of distance in the relationship. But in this case, to celebrate this anniversary with a new heart is to remember that the one who promised to love you still loves you and has always been faithful to that promise to you. The more powerfully we remember God's claim over us through Jesus' death and resurrection for us, the more we're able to remember that promise is personal and forever on God's part, the more we are able to respond with true and heartfelt faith in return. In his large catechism, Martin Luther said, A Christian life is nothing else than a daily baptism, once begun and ever continued. Martin Luther suggested that we physically remind ourselves every day of that baptismal promise, retracing that cross on our foreheads, remembering that we have been claimed in Christ because it's God's grace. It's remembering his love for us that leads to the response of our genuine faith. And there are different ways to celebrate and affirm that covenant of your baptism. I have a friend who remembers that every day with water before going to work. And on the anniversary of her baptism every year, I drive up to Fargo to celebrate with my goddaughter, Carrie. And we relight her baptismal candle. And I retrace the sign of the cross on her forehead to remind her that she has been claimed by God through Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to know him. And we pray together. And I can tell every year it means more and more to her to know that God is personal for her, that he is at work in her life, and that promise is hers, that he's walking with her. You should hear how beautiful her prayers are as she grows into that reality. So baptism is both an event and a discipling process. We've talked about the event, and I want to talk a little bit more about that process. Because for many people, the question is, well, when does the life of discipleship start? When should someone be baptized? And in Scripture, a lot of people were baptized as adults because that's when they met Jesus and they wanted to start learning his way. But when those Christians started having children, they asked the question, when do my children begin their discipleship? And Jesus told us, we are all supposed to have faith like little children. So it seemed odd not to baptize Jesus' model for faith just because we didn't know Jesus when we were their age. So along with the biblical models of people like Timothy, who Paul says was raised knowing the scriptures from his infancy due to his grandmother Lois and mother Eunice, Christians began baptizing their children, discipling them from childhood, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded them so they could grow up knowing their lives were claimed by God in Christ and could respond to him in faith. In the Lutheran church, we baptize people at all different ages and times because we believe no matter when you came to know the Lord, he loved you first. 
And whether you knew it or not, it's his love that has called you to him. His love for you has drawn your heart to want to know him. And if a child is born in a Christian family, we believe that family will start discipling that child from an early age. And that faith comes as a response to knowing God's love for you. So whether you believe first and ask to be baptized as a response to God's love for you, or you've been baptized into the promise of God's love in Christ and grow up to know and trust the God who loves you, affirming that baptismal promise with your life. Either way, it's first about Jesus' work in your life and it's received in faith. As you remember, the whole reason for this baptism conversation today is Jesus telling us how to make disciples. So no matter how baptism happens, after baptism, the Great Commission gives us some powerful instruction for follow-up. Teach them to obey all I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. You might notice you can't obey this command alone in your private relationship with God. Because Jesus didn't say, get baptized and learn to obey all I've commanded you. That's implied. But the commission is actually to baptize and teach them to obey. So what's it going to take to live out that commission? First, this commission assumes if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're in a community of student learners. And secondly, to teach others to obey all that Jesus has commanded us, we have to know ourselves what Jesus commanded and have some idea of how to obey what he commanded with our lives, right? How else can we help others learn to obey? Jesus' commission assumes that we're student learners who will always be helping other student learners to follow our master. All of us learning, upheld by the same promise of grace that's bigger than all of us, claimed by the one who promises to be with us always. And as I was studying this, I had to really step back and ask, are we doing that, Jesus? Do we know what it means to obey all that you have commanded us? What did you command us, Jesus? Are we modeling it to each other as a community of disciples? So I started in my devotional time to write down any passages where Jesus commanded something, where he said, do this. And I'd really recommend that as a spiritual exercise, to read through the Gospels and write down Jesus' commands. Because what I found out was Jesus didn't use the command voice very often. Most often, he invites, if you want this, then follow. If you want to know a life like this, do this. His word invites you to ask, what do I want for my life? Do I want a life in relationship with God? Will I follow Jesus? And where Jesus does command, his commands sound a lot like, love God with all that's in you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Follow me. Commands that can't be done without daily connection to the one who promises to be with us. The baptismal life of the disciple is living into the calling and the identity that God has given you only by his grace and the knowledge that in his promise, you'll never be on this journey alone. The Jesus life is one that's lived up and in and out in relationship with God in the Christian community and reaching out with God's love to the world. But living in the covenant of our baptism, it's a life that's lived in the promise that our relationship with God our status as God's beloved ones doesn't depend on us getting this right or figuring it out or succeeding in this call. It depends on God's promise that holds us, God who first claims us and frees us to love him with our lives in return. 
It's God's grace that creates the response of faith in us. When we focus on us and our ability to believe, it drives us to despair. But when we focus on him, faith happens. And so Jesus commands us to look to him so we can know faith, so we can know his power, so we can know his life. So this week in your devotional time, I want to invite you to look for the commands of Jesus and to ask yourself, what is it that Jesus asks of me? What do these commands tell me about him and what God wants for my life? If you've been baptized, I invite you to think about how you're living into the call that God has given you to teach others to look to Jesus too, to live life in obedience to his grace-filled commands. And if you haven't been baptized, I invite you to think about baptism, that covenant of love that Jesus calls us to know. By water and the word, you are invited to find your life in him today and forever. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the love that you have for us and for this call for each one of us to know that we are received in your love and by your power, by your choosing us. Lord, we pray that as we grow in knowing your love for us, that our hearts would respond with true and genuine faith and trust in you. Lord, we pray that you would help us all lifelong to be learners, to be student learners and disciples of you, imitating you in our lives, learning your love in all that we say and do as we trust in your grace. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.